Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. The show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp. And this year's camp will be from July 18th to the 23rd at the beautiful Singing Hills Christian Camp in Plainfield, New Hampshire. And you might ask, where is Plainfield, New Hampshire? Well, it is about an hour north and west of Concord, New Hampshire, the state capital, uh, right on the Vermont border. Again, that's um, July 18th to the 23rd. We have a great lineup, as we do every year, of speakers and all kinds of great activities and fun to learn more about our camp. Visit our website, campconstitution.net. Uh, you can also hear the show on our Podomatic page, podomatic.com, and just put in Camp Constitution, where we have not every show, but we have a lot of the shows. Plus, I've been uploading many of the Sam Blumenfeld uh, recordings, Sam the Pioneer of the Homeschool Movement, and we also have a new uh, podcast program called uh, Truth from the Youth. A couple of our young campers who aren't so young and have been coming to camp the last four or five years are now in their 17, 18 years of age, and they uh, started a blog dealing with Agenda 21 and other issues of concern to young people. So uh, we got four of those in the hopper so far, so you can uh, down, listen to them and download them if you like. We call it our answer to Greta Thunberg, or Thunberg, however you pronounce the name. Anyway, um, we had a, uh, the passing of Rush Limbaugh. Uh, Rush died not too long ago. He, he had terminal cancer, and uh, most of his listeners, uh, of course, knew that he was battling for, for with it for over a year. And uh, he passed away, uh, not unexpectedly, but it still comes as a shock. And he was actually, up until the last, what, week and a half, maybe, he was still uh, doing his show on and off uh, on an irregular basis. And in the wake of his death, you saw the true nature of the far left, or the left. Glad that he died. He was a cancer who got cancer. You know, just filthy, ugly, vile things about Rush Limbaugh. Now, Larry King passed away, I think it was back in December. Larry King was a well-known talk show host, uh, TV, had a TV show, Larry King Live. He was so, sort of uh, well-known in, uh, in his field. Uh, he was a man of the left, an atheist, uh, but uh, when he died, I don't remember seeing all the vitriol from the conservatives. Now, there may have been some. Uh, I'm sure there were some uh, people who did make some nasty comments, but nothing like you don't. You didn't see any of the mainstream media people, the, the few conservatives. You didn't see Fox News dancing over his grave. Nothing like that. Or Newsmax, if they mentioned it, they probably condolences to his wife or whatever, his family members, his children. And Larry King, again, I didn't like the guy, um, but I, I did know a friend of mine, uh, John McManus, that was a guest on a show back in the 80s, and he was fair to him. 
So I have to say that he, uh, Larry, as much as I disliked what he stood for, I didn't dislike him uh, as an individual, and it's sad that he passed. Uh, And the same thing with Rush Limbaugh. As a constitutionalist, I was not a big fan of Rush Limbaugh. Um, I remember first hearing about him in the early 90s. I think he he traveled. I think he one time he was uh, a PR director for the Kansas City Royals baseball team, and he got into the talk show market in California. And when he first broke in, from pe- what people tell me, and actually a uh, man by the name of Robert W. Lee, who was since deceased, he was a writer for the New American Magazine. We interviewed him in his early days. And he seemed very conservative uh, and more in tune to, uh, I guess, uh, what's the right word? He wasn't an establishment talk show host, establishment Republican. You know, like you got like Hannity and uh, Mark Levin. You know, there are certain topics that they will never discuss. They won't go near it. Talk about the Fed. Uh, they'll make reference to the deep state, but they really won't define it other than just give you examples of uh, – a couple of FBI agents and things of that nature, but they won't really go into the Council on Foreign Relations or Trilateral Commission and on and on. Uh, but Lebach became that way. He, um, In fact, I remember in the 90s during the NAFTA debate, he, he supported NAFTA. Uh, Pat Buchanan wanted to run some advertisements about NAFTA, opposing NAFTA. He wouldn't allow it. And I think Phyllis Schlafly's Eagle Forum wanted to run some ads as well. And I remember uh, in the 90s, um, we were, you know, of course, one of the projects, we were uh, audit the Fed and end the Fed, Federal Reserve Bank, and Limbaugh would poo-poo and ridicule those who embraced the conspiratorial worldview, uh, et cetera. And I remember he had some uh, he had some kind of little comical thing about uh, if you were driving east from Boston uh, and going at 50 miles an hour, how long would it take you to get to the Federal Reserve Bank? Or how many prior analysts will it take? You know, it was, it was a joke or a mocking those who uh, have had a, what do you call a single causationalist perspective on history. Uh, a little mean-spirited, but that's, you know, that's talk radio. And so, and, um, but then he gets a call from Alan Greenspan. Initially, there was a Mexican bailout. Now, this was during the Clinton administration. And he instinctively was against it because I think his instincts were really good. But then he gets a call from Alan Greenspan, and he, he lied about it at first, and then uh, it came out that he did get a call, and he changed his position. Now, that being said, um, we're all human beings. We're sinners saved by grace. I don't have any ill will towards him. Uh, and again, I, um, I have to say that as a person who's done a lot of talk show as a guest on talk shows, all over New England and the Midwest and uh, other New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Since uh, since 1990, I have to say that Rush Limbaugh was responsible for saving talk radio, the AM radio. Um, a lot of stations have small markets, and you know you got to sell ads that just stay in business. And they. Limbaugh, they would pick up Limbaugh, and he was show was I think on from what twelve to three or one to four, whatever it was. And there was a lot of local hosts that could uh, do their shows either before Limbaugh or after him, and it really vitalized AM radio. AM radio was a really vibrant, you know, fifties and sixties, 
70s when you actually had a lot of local talk show hosts, local personalities, even regional personalities, but they were very popular. And then, uh, you know, FM radio, people weren't listening to AM much anymore back in those days. In fact, we had a we had a, one of our, uh, a friend of mine, we were uh, in a studio in Connecticut, in uh, Deep River, Connecticut, I think was the town, oh, M- Middletown, Connecticut. I don't remember the call signals. And the host was very sympathetic to us. And my friend comes on and he says, free at last, free at last. We can say anything we want on AM radio because nobody's listening. <laughs> of course, that wasn't the case. And again, I think it had, had to do a lot with Rush Limbaugh. I remember... Um, Rutland, Vermont, there was a radio station. Ed Anderson was the, was the morning man, and he would call himself the poor man's Rush Limbaugh. And Limbaugh would come on pretty much. He would be on from 9 to, 9 to noon or 12, 8 to 12, and Limbaugh would come on after that. And then there'd be someone of like mind after, after Limbaugh. Uh, and, again, these are stations all over the, all over the country that were able to stay in business because of the popularity of Rush Limbaugh. And again, to his credit, he did uh, he did do a lot of good. Um, uh, again, there was uh, I know he was a big Trump supporter. I was initially thought he was an anti-Trumper, and then he turned his position around. But he ended up uh, no, I guess he was a Trump, a Trump supporter from day one, and it actually gave him uh, some time back in the fall before the election. Gave him a whole a whole show where they sort of co-hosted. And so Limbaugh did introduce people to a lot of. Uh, Know, a lot of good information. Um, again, he didn't go as deep as he should have gone. Uh, he, you know, he was against the climate change. He was uh, pro-life. He wasn't uh, maybe a hardcore pro-life, but he did have a pro-life position, and he was in favor of this right to keep bare arms and all the other issues that are important and dear to conservatives. And uh, again, I did listen to him towards the last couple of years. I uh, I would listen to him a little bit more than I than I did in the past. And uh, I do mourn his passing, and even though, again, as I said, I had some issues with him. Uh, but the uh, the far left, they just have this hatred of people. It just It's not just, hey, we disagree with him. He's just evil. You know, he made money. He was a racist. He was a, a he was an anti-female. He was the, uh, he, he was against, he used the term feminazi, oh, so we hated women, and all this kind of thing. And it's, really, it's just nasty, typical. And this is what we're up against, folks. This is why uh, stations like this need to be supported because um, these folks aren't playing games. They have The left has control of public education. They've got about 90% of the universities. They have 90% of the newspapers. Thankfully, they're not that viable anymore except their online versions. Uh, they don't have AM radio, though. Even when they tried, remember that obnoxious um, Al Franken, he had to resign because he was such a hypocrite. He had to resign because he was harassing women, I guess. He became a senator. But he tried to do a, uh, a radio AM show, AM station. Didn't work. They were only on for what, less than a year, maybe a little more than a year. They got like Radio America or something like that. Didn't last long. The only AM, uh, only radio that the left has is uh, NPR. And that's because it's subsidized by the federal government. Also, conservatives read books, and most of the best sellers uh, are conservative books. So we still have that. We have the AM with radio, and of course the internet, uh, and probably shortwave too, uh, shortwave radio, which uh, I think 
needs to be revived. I'd like to see more people uh, using shortwave radio because it's a free format. And, um, and not only that, but uh, the lights go out, you can still have shortwave. You, you, you have your stuff online, you can lose everything. And we see, and I know there's some, um, some alternatives to the YouTubes and the Facebooks and so forth. And I want to talk a little bit about that too. Uh, I, I, I came to my attention recently that Mark Meckler, who was the founder of Convention of States, is now the interim CEO of Parler. Now, Parler was taken, taken down. They, they were deplatformed back, I think it was in January, early January. But at the same time, I lost my Facebook account, which has been restored. And uh, they popped back up, but they, uh, they fired the CEO, and they end up hiring Mark Meckler. And I thought, well, how, you know, Mark Meckler, why did they hire this guy? Now, it could be, and I wrote a blog about it, it could be that Meckler is getting a little bored with his convention of states. Uh, the last three or four years, they haven't had much success uh, getting resolutions passed. And it's, I think they've got 16 states. They need another 13 or 14 to have their convention. And uh, maybe some of the, don the big donors are getting a little impatient. Maybe some of the rank and file say, you know, we tried this. And the typical American conservative, if we can't do something in an election cycle, we drop it. That's typical uh, of Americans today, whether it be in politics, whether it be in church activities, whether it be anywhere. And that's people on the left and right. You know, uh, they just, uh, you know, the movement kind of dries up. So I'm hoping that's the case. I don't know for sure. Uh, but the other, my biggest concern is he's going to be using Paula to push his Article 5 convention. And I did an earlier show uh, recently with uh, two gentlemen, Robert Brown, who was a, uh, a friend of mine. He is a constitutional, we used to be former colleagues, and Max Abramson. Max is a New Hampshire state rep. And this show is on our Podomatic page. Um, anyway, you can get that. It ran over, a little over 30 minutes, so I didn't want to use it for this show like 34 minutes. It's really hard to debate, uh, have a debate online uh, on, on a radio show and hold it to 29 minutes. It's really difficult. But anyway, uh, and I, there are some decent, good people who support an Article 5 convention. They're sincere. They're not evil. They're not out to smear people who disagree with them and destroy their livelihoods and run, run candidates against them and destroy their political career or lie about them. Uh, which is what Mark Meckler does, unfortunately. So there's a man of that tainted character who is now the CEO of Parler. So I've got some serious problems. I'm wondering just how free Parler will be now. Um, so uh, uh, friends have recommended me to get off Parler. So I said, I probably will, but I'm going to be posting stuff about Meckler on Parler. I, mean, I don't have a whole lot of, uh, I don't have hundreds and thousands of uh, followers or whatever they call them on Parler followers or friends or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> but I'm going to be posting stuff about Meckler, truthful things, of course, about his background. Um, he has a guy that uh, he was a real estate attorney, and he goes around telling people that if you're not an attorney, you really have no business testifying against it. Or you really have no issue, no reason or business talking about Article 5 with any sense of authority. So in other words, he's become an elitist. Um, uh, I guess he ran up, uh, he was involved in Shakely, the mass uh, multi-level stuff, which a lot of people do, and he made money, good for him. And uh, he somehow got involved with the Tea Party movement and became one of the co-founders of this National Tea Party Patriot Group, 
Uh, I know um, the other the lady that co-host uh, that co-founded. I think she's a good lady. Uh, but my concern with a national group is that they tried, they were trying to take over some of the local Tea Party groups. And I think the strength of the Tea Party movement, which has waned a whole lot, uh, but the strength of it, it was they were independent groups. And there were some Tea Party groups that were nothing more than arms of the local Republican Party, or they became co-opted by the local Republicans. And there were some that were independent, and they had their own agenda, and they may have uh, done some things that the national group promoted and some things they didn't. And I think they were trying to get complete control. And I have friends, oh, why can't we all just join together? There's so many different groups, and if we just all consolidated everything, we'd be more effective. And that makes, when you think about it, you know, that just does make sense. Why do you have 10 groups all sort of doing the same thing? But then you have... If you have one group, it's easy to take over, isn't it? And I think decentralization is really a key. So we can we can coordinate our camp constitution. We work with lots of groups, and we coordinate our activities and pool our resources at times. If there's a project that uh, needs to be done, we can collaborate. And that, but there's a project that we may not want to get involved with, and we're not forced to because now it's you know it's one under one umbrella. That'd be kind of difficult. Uh, no autonomy there. So I think it's probably a blessing that we we are somewhat decentralized. And that's part of being an advocate of limited government, not to have one entity run by one CEO, and, and then all the big money comes in and takes the organization over, and uh, they call it a grassroots, but it really isn't. It's really run from the top. A handful of uh, the big supporters kind of call the shots. You know, somebody will say, hey, look, uh, here's, here's a million bucks. I want you to push this agenda. Here's a ten million bucks. And by the way, don't talk about this issue. And I've seen that happen in even smaller organizations where you know, a guy writes a big check. He says, to, "I'm going to write a check, but it's conditional. You're not going to talk about the pro-life movement. Don't talk about abortion." You know? Oh, okay. Well, we won't come out and support abortion, but we won't we won't put it on our agenda anymore. No, you 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 compromise. You've sold out, and uh, you can't do that. It's not God honoring, and that's uh, what happens sometimes to these groups. So. Anyway, so Mark Meckler uh, ended up in, in uh, September of 2011. He co-hosted an event at Harvard School of Law. The university itself didn't sponsor it, but it had university professors that involved, including Larry Lessig. Larry Lessig, a, I, when I say a left-wing Harvard law professor, it, it's, it's no need to say left-wing. You just say Harvard law, and you automatically know it's a left-wing. He's a left-winger. Uh, so I didn't really know much about Mark Meckler. I knew a little bit about Larry Lessig, uh, but not much about Meckler at that point. And I, when I heard about it back in probably July, August of 2011, I tried to get uh, to be a panelist to be involved. I've been fighting this issue since 1988, testifying and writing about it and what have you, speaking about it. And I thought, gee, if this forum was a forum to discuss the issue, and there's only two sides. You're either for one or you're against one. I guess you can be neutral, but if you're neutral, you're not going to come to an event and be neutral about it. Oh, I don't care. Uh, you can't have a half of a convention or a tenth of a convention. You either have one or you don't have one. Uh, but when I tried to get credential, I tried to call. They would return a call, would return my emails. I did get media credential uh, through a friend of mine, the New American Magazine. And I, so I was there. It was uh, Saturday, Sunday. I got there Sunday. And it was very one-sided. 
I think there were only two presenters of all the presenters that took a stance against it, including uh, Lawrence Tribe, who was a left-wing Harvard professor. So there are people on the left, and we've always contended that people on the left and right that both support and oppose an Article 5. That's no secret. Uh, the Convention of States will say, oh, all the, all the left is against one. Well, yeah, but you work with the left. So anyway, getting back to the event. So I remember um, somebody, a lady from the coffee party was there who was in favor of the convention. And somebody, Occupy Wall Street. And I remember getting this lady's business card. She was an upper middle class white lady from New Jersey. She wasn't some kind of, uh, you know, homeless person in front of the uh, Federal Reserve Bank or in front of Wall Street down in Lower Manhattan, or in front of the Federal Reserve Bank in Boston, or whatever. Because I was in uh, Lower Manhattan towards the end of the Occupy Wall Street, and I saw this piece there were decrepit people, this young gal with needle marks on her arms. I really felt bad for her. Uh, but so she was up the middle class. And so I thought, oh, you got Occupy Wall Street and once an Article 5. You've got a group called, well, you got Chenk Uger. Now, I didn't know who Chenk Uger was, C-E-N-K-U-I. U-I-G-U-R. Uh, he was interviewing Larry Lessig. Now, we couldn't do any interviews inside. We had to do outside. So I had my little camera, and there is Larry Lessig, whom I did recognize, and this fellow interviewing him, whom at the time I didn't know was Chenk Yuga. And they, they were talking about the Article 5, and the issue of a runaway convention came up. And they both said, oh, yeah, well, the first one was a runaway. Ha, ha, ha. Let's hope for another runaway. And they were laughing about it. Like, yeah. In other words, you see, the, the, the concept of runaway is sort of a misnomer because an Article 5 convention cannot be limited to a particular issue. So if the convention was held for, let's say, a balanced budget amendment only, well, you can't do that. But that's what they're trying to sell it. Oh, we're only going to hear, we're going to promote, we're going to propose one amendment or maybe two amendments, and that's it. They say, oh, no, you can promote, propose anything you want. Oh, that's a runaway. That's a conspiracy theory. Well, it's not a runaway. It's, a, it's by nature. As Robert Brown says, there's nowhere to run. You know, there's nowhere to run because it's an open forum. You can propose any amendment. doesn't mean they'll get through, but you can propose any amendment. So... So here they are, you know, laughing about it, uh, laughing about it. So in the wake of that, Mark Meckler founded a convention of states, and they try to use the term, oh, this is not a constitutional convention. It's a convention of states. Well, it's not a convention of states. It's a convention of delegates from the states that have no obligations to listen to anybody from the states that, that, that they're representing. So if I'm a delegate from New Hampshire, appointed, we don't know even how they're going to be chosen, uh, the states, the state legislators, they say, okay, we like how he's a good guy. We, he'll, he'll do the right thing. I thank you guys. I get down to where the convention will be held. I don't have, they have no power over me. I can do whatever I please. And that's, and I'm a lame duck. I'm just a delegate to this convention. And once it's over, I'm out of business. I am no longer a delegate. So what are they going to do? Fire me? You know, I'm already, it's only a, a, a small time appointment. So, uh, so Meckler founded Convention of States, and Cenk Uger founded this group called Wolfpack. And the first person, I think, or second, second person he hired was a, a, an odious person by the name of, well, when I say odious, Cenk Uger is odious. He's a far leftist. He was gloating. I remember watching his show. I hate 
giving, watching his YouTube show and giving him a, a view, you know. Uh, but he uh, he was talking about uh, when they had the hurricane down in uh, Louisiana. He was glad that the refineries were uh, were were having difficulty. And he uh, that to me is an evil person. You know, he's a guy that upper middle class. He's a millionaire now, I think. He got he gets millions of dollars of support, living high on the hog, as they say down south. Yet he's hoping that the oil refineries uh, get destroyed. The price of gas goes up. The price of food goes up. The people who suffer most are those living in lower incomes. And he knows this. He's not stupid. He knows this. But he's just evil. He recently uh, came out and supported uh, bestiality. See, that's the next level, you know, from uh, accepting the homosexual lifestyle. We can accept that. That's okay. Then it's, uh, then it's lowering the age of consent. You know, so a 12-year-old can be can have uh, contract can have uh, legal relations with a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 50-year-old. That's the next thing, and then bestiality. So they want to normalize all of these things and say, "Oh, that will never happen." Well, if you told me 10 years ago there's 50 genders, I would say that that's ridiculous. That will well, I knew it's going to happen because I I know from 19 from the 1980s. Actually, it was an article by Gary Allen going back to. 19, the late 60s, early 70s, talking about this stuff, and nobody wanted to believe it. Uh, and, and Gary Allen wrote an article called On Morality, I think it was, and uh, in the American Opinion magazine, and he was talking about the, the, these homosexuals pushing for this concept of same-sex marriage. When you read that, you just say, this is nonsense. Nobody, left, right, center, would ever buy into this. And of course, now, if you don't buy into 50 uh, genders, you're, you're an evil person. That's that's how far we've come in such a short time. So this is this is the person that Meckler works with, Uger, although they'll deny it. But I've seen evidence. I saw it firsthand how they work together in New Hampshire. Thankfully, unsuccessfully so far. Uh, and on top of that, uh, if you go to a website called Living Room Conversations, you will um, you will find the the woman who heads it. Her name is Joanne Blades. And Joanne also runs, she's a busy lady, she also runs MoveOn.org, which is a Soros-funded entity. Now, I don't know if he funds Living Room Conversations. Uh, he may, Soros, I, don't, I can't say for sure. Uh, but it, it, it's a left-wing group that promotes this Delphi technique. And anyone who understands a Delphi can just, it's just so apparent. And if you go to their uh, About Us, and then it says leaders or not the staff, there's a drop-down for champions. So these are people that are big supporters of living room conversations. And wouldn't you know, those old Mark Meckler and Van Jones are just two of the so-called champions. There's about a dozen or so of people that are raving about this wonderful organization. And then you see Mark Meckler with a picture of Joanne Blades all huggy and hobnobbing together. And he's quite comfortable in left-wing circles. He also spoke at the Aspen Institute, another leftist organization. So I'm thinking, hey, he's hanging, he's hobnobbing with all these leftists, and then he's going around when he's testifying in front of conservatives or giving presentations in front of conservatives, he'll denounce opponents as leftists or traitors or baby killers, all kinds of vile stuff. But then he testifies in front of leftists, oh, the opponents of an Article 5, they're racists, they're anti-Semites. So he's, to me, that's a dishonest, and wicked person who does these kinds of things. You know, I can I can respect somebody who who wants an Article Five, 
we can disagree, we can debate, but someone like him, he'll testify, he'll spend more time ripping uh, individuals and organizations who oppose it instead of dealing with the issue. And they so de they deceive these state legislators. They get them convinced that Mark Meckler will hold this event all by himself. The only delegates will be to a people that he chooses, and they're only going to propose several amendments, and everything's going to be hunky-dory, and nothing to worry about because it takes uh, three-fourths of the states to approve anyway. Well, if, if you're so sure, if you're, if you're telling us that no bad amendments will be passed, uh, and your amendments will be be okay. Oh, it takes three fourths. That's really hard to get three fourths. Why are you working so hard to get an Article Five convention? You're working awfully hard to get this thing, and you're telling us that oh, but don't worry, I have nothing to worry about. I mean, uh, you still need three fourths of the states. Maybe they got something else in mind. Maybe just maybe they will uh, change the mode of ratification to a simple majority. Do you think there'll be any, oh, that's not in the Constitution. Well, they just held an impeachment trial for a man who's no longer in office. The Supreme Court Justice said, hey, I mean, Roberts, a man who's become a leftist, said, I'm not going to participate in this. They still held it. They took a vote on whether it's constitutional, and 60, I think 60, uh, 10, 10 Republicans, 8 Republicans, yeah, it's constitutional. Of course it's not constitutional. So why should that a little clause in, a, in the Article 5 mean anything today? Why should it? Have to think 90% of the things what the, the Congress does is unconstitutional. Both parties. In fact, if you don't believe me, I'd say go online, look up the newamerican.com, and look at the Freedom Index. They, and they, 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 rate, they rate members of the House and the Senate based on their voting record. Look at the Democrats... In Massachusetts, uh, uh, Ayanna Presley, who was a leftist, Marxist, hates America. Her voting, her, 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 her number, she's 37. You've got that uh, Republican, Dan, uh, I think it's Crenshaw, down at the, 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 the veteran who's, missing, uh, who's lost an eye. A lot of respect for the guy. He's, he's a 42. He's only five points ahead of Ayanna Presley. And he's a Republican conservative? We're, we're in serious trouble, folks. People just don't know how these, these Republicans are voting. So anyway, I think we're running out of time. I want to thank you for listening. To uh, learn more about us, visit our website, campconstitution.net. And if you like this show and you want to help support our efforts, there's a PayPal button right there on our main page, and you can make a donation. If you want to become a sponsor, you can uh, get a hold of us, and we'll put your organization up there on our sponsors page. And uh, until next week, may God richly bless you. Thank you for listening. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.